1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Last week we looked at the challenge of loving one another. Therefore, I don't think it's an accident or coincidence that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that John was invited by the Spirit to pen this passage right after that passage. Because I'm sure all of us probably left last week going, wow, to love like Christ loves, that's, that's quite the challenge. And, and many of us may even need reassurance at that point that, that God loves us and that we are one of his children and that in spite of the fact that we can look at our lives many times and say we're not loving as, as we know we should, that, that assurance is important. Uh, assurance is vital in all relationships. All relationships need assurance or reassurance in order to keep them alive and keep them going. And God understands that. That's why much of the Bible is this love letter of reassurance to us. To assure us and reassure us that we are God's children and that that uh, he's going to provide and and take care of us and see us through the most difficult times and all of that. So that's what this passage is all about. It's about assurance. If if you wanted a a one-word sort of caption over this passage, it would be the word assurance. With that said, what I'm going to do tonight is read verses 19 through 24, the last passage of chapter 3 tonight, And then I want us to back up for a moment before we dive back into this passage and get some of the sort of background, if you will, and backdrop of why John is writing this to us. He says in verse 19, And by this we will know that we are of the truth and will convince our conscience in His presence. That if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience and knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, we have confidence in the presence of God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing to Him. Now this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He gave us the commandment. And the person who keeps His commandments resides in God and God in Him. Now by this we know, that God resides in us by the Spirit He has given us. Before we dig in tonight, let's back up a moment and get a running start into this passage tonight. First of all, let's be reminded that in 1 John, John is separating relationship from fellowship, which is huge. We must not confuse the two. This book that John writes is not about having a relationship with Christ. That's the gospel of John. This book is about what fellowship with Christ is all about and about maintaining fellowship, about walking arm in arm with God, about being on the same page with God throughout our lives. And so let's remember before we dig into this passage on assurance that he's not talking about a relationship here. A relationship with God is based solely, solely on faith alone in Christ alone. Not on anything that I can do. I can in no way earn a relationship with God. I can't do enough good works. I can't earn my way to heaven. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace we are saved through faith. That, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And in fact, if anyone is still struggling with the idea of working their way to heaven, read and study Romans chapter 3 and 4. There is no greater place in Scripture where Paul or anyone else just lays out the fact That it is by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not about works. If I could work my way to heaven, then I could brag about it. And what good did it do for Jesus to come to earth and die on the cross? If it wasn't, if it was something that I could earn or I could do, then I could throughout eternity get glory for it. And I could go around heaven going, I got here because of what I did. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is all of us multitudes down through history, from every tribe, kindred, spirit, and nation, are going to be saying throughout eternity, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who who bought us, who redeemed us. And that's why we're in heaven, because of what Jesus did, not what I did. So, a relationship with God begins with faith alone in Christ alone. But when we talk about assurance of our salvation assurance of our standing with God, assurance that we're on the same page with God, assurance that we are in fellowship with God, that is based on works. That is based on what we are doing after we become a Christian. You see, a disobedient Christian, one who walks away from God and walks in the darkness rather than the light, they're going to start suffering doubts. That, that's the byproduct That's part of the built-in, if you will, that God puts there, not to punish us, but to, to draw us back to Him. To say, look at what you're missing by not being in fellowship with me. It's sort of the same pain that the prodigal son went through when he left the love of his father and left home, if you will, and went out on his own and lived it up. Eventually, he began to suffer pain and consequences for his behavior. And it was when he began to suffer that and long for what he had with his father that he was drawn back to his father. So you and I can assure ourselves that we are in fellowship with God through how we live our lives. That's exactly what John says in verse 19 of chapter 3. So let's look at that again under this lens. By this. By what? Well, he just talked in the context, the passage we studied last week, about loving others. Loving our Christians, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving everyone. And loving them with the love of Christ. Being willing to lay down our lives for others. And so, in the context, John is just picking it up and saying, when you and I love like this, by this... We will know that we are of the truth and will convince our conscience in God's presence. See, one of the things that will assure us that we're one of God's children is when we're doing things that we know we could never do. When we are loving in a way that we know God God had to help me with that. I couldn't love that person unless God was helping me. I couldn't love to that degree unless God was doing it through me. That's when we know that God is in us, that we are in fellowship with God, and that we have this supernatural thing going rather than trying to manufacture it in a natural way. So again, please don't misunderstand what John was saying here and what I'm trying to say tonight to communicate. 
We are, we enter into a relationship with God, not by works, but by faith alone in Christ alone. But when it comes to our assurance, when it comes to battling those doubts of whether I'm a Christian and all of that, a life of obedience, a life of doing what God is asking us to do, a life of just obedience to the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit and, and, you know, doing what His Word says to do is the best way we can build assurance into our lives. The worst thing we can do, even as Christians, is to go away from God, go away from His Word, not do the things He asks us to do. I guarantee you those doubts of of your salvation, those doubts of your standing with God, those doubts of whether I'm a child of God and all of that will begin to enter in. That's just the byproduct of all of that. And so this passage is primarily directed to people who need reassurance. They're Christians, but they need reassurance based upon maybe something that they've done, some failure, some sin, some act of disobedience that maybe I'm not a child of God anymore. And that's primarily why John writes this passage. You see, there are really two types of people that are connected to this passage tonight. There are those who have a faulty assurance. Those who really think that they are okay with God and they're not. And I'm going to look at that for a moment. But that's not the people that John is talking to here tonight. John is talking to another group of people. But let's just talk about that for a moment. Because there may be some people here. I, every time I speak, I teach the Bible. It's very possible that there are always people in the audience who may have a faulty assurance. You may think that everything is okay between you and God, and it's not. And the Bible says the worst kind of delusion is self-delusion. When somehow I've convinced myself that I'm okay, everything's okay, when everything is not okay between me and God. Keep your finger there in First John and go back to the book of Second Corinthians chapter 13. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. Put yourselves to the test to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize regarding yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? In other words, Paul is saying, make sure. Are you really okay with God? Because the Bible teaches that there's going to be this group of people that always exist throughout history who think they're okay with God and they're not. And, and that certainly needs to be addressed. That, that certainly, I need to spend at least a few minutes on that. Because I would hate, I, I would just absolutely hate to think that there could even be somebody here tonight. You think you and God are okay. You think you're on your way to heaven. But you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And to you, I would say exactly what Paul says. Wouldn't it be okay to just test and examine and make sure you're in the faith? We're talking about your eternal destiny here. 
Let me give you another passage that's pretty sobering along these lines. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, the day that this examination of who's in and who's out type of thing, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? That sounds like they should be in, right? That sounds like, man, these people can do miracles and and these people seem to have all the outward evidence that they're not only a Christian, but that they're a, a number one servant of God, right? Notice what Jesus says, verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me. I never knew you. Because there was never a personal relationship with Christ. See, that's why we emphasize at this church relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about ritual. It's about a relationship. Jesus Christ has to know me and I have to know him in a personal way. And not that he doesn't know me. He's God. He knows everything. The word he's using here is a word that is even used in other places in the Bible to speak about a sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. He's saying knowing to that level, knowing somebody, really knowing somebody. Not just knowing about God, not just knowing facts about God. Yeah, God is great, God is good, let's thank Him for the food. It's about knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. And that's the only way, folks, I can get to heaven. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Jesus says, there are many throughout history who had a faulty assurance. They went through life thinking, I'm going to be okay, I'm okay. I, I did this. I did. It was everything except a personal relationship with him. And they're going to get to a day in their life where they're going to be there and hear Jesus say, I never knew you. I don't have a personal relationship with you. So there are those who have a faulty assurance. And we could go to many other passages, but that's not where John's at tonight. If you go back to 1 John for a moment, back to chapter 3, John here in this passage is talking about those who are struggling with a faulty conscience and need reassurance. Those people, those Christians who are truly children of God, But maybe they failed, they have fallen, they have sinned, they have disobeyed, they've blown it, whatever. They failed. And now they are in a position of such doubt that God needs to come along and reassure them, you're still my child. You know, you you are still my child. You, You need reassurance at this point. Now hang in there with me. We're going to go through this pretty thoroughly tonight. As we dig in, let's start with this whole concept of failure. All of us have failed in life. All of us will fail. 
The Bible never talks about perfection. God never expects perfection from any of us, even as his children. That's impossible on this side of heaven. What God does expect is progress. In fact, you will even see that word throughout the Bible. That God expects me to be more like Jesus Christ today than yesterday, this week than last week, this month than last month, this year than last year. I should be making progress. I should be looking a little bit more like Jesus each step of the way. Progress, but never perfection. So I'm going to fail. So how should I as a Christian then deal with my failure? How should I navigate that moment when I do fail? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I think God wants us to learn from it. God wants me to ask a couple questions at the moment of my failure or soon after. Why did I sin that way? And how can I avoid that sin in the future? But, please listen to this. It is never helpful. It is never biblical for me to dwell on my failures. In fact, let me give you a biblical support for that. Go back to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning to Philippians chapter 3, let me say this. I know I'm going to be in conflict with lots of people out there in our society today who think that the answer to you and I moving forward in life is to concentrate on my past and focus on my past and get all the details of my past out. I'm just going to tell you something. I've had to deal with those people who've went that route and they are not actually not only any better off for going through all their past and childhood, they're actually worse off. Because here's what the Bible says about how I deal with my past. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I've already attained this. In other words, I haven't arrived. I'm not all that I could be or should be. In fact, he goes on to say, I've not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded. Now, don't miss this next phrase. Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead, with this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, again, God understands and Paul understands and I understand you and I can't physically forget our past. What others have done to us, what we've done, we can't physically just erase that from the tapes of our mind. But what we can do, according to this, is not dwell on it, not focus on it, not make it the focus and priority of our life. That our lives have to always be looking ahead to where God wants to take us rather than looking behind. Which is why many times the Bible uses this running metaphor. Because a runner in a race, whether you're running a sprint or a marathon, isn't going to get very far if they're always looking behind them. God wants us to keep our eyes out front, focused on Jesus Christ who is our shepherd leading us where he wants to lead us. And Paul, if anybody could have had a past that would have been a cloud over their life and head and one that they would have never been able to climb out of, it would have been Paul. Remember, before he was Paul, he was Saul. 
He was the chief persecutor of the church. He threw Christians into prison. He had Christians murdered. He was there holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen to death in the book of Acts. I mean, if anyone had a past that was so bad, so far away from God, that God could never forgive it and never do anything with their life, it would have been Saul. And Paul came to the realization that I can't get to where God wants me to go if I keep allowing my past to drag me down. I've got to forget my past and move forward with God. Yes, I failed. Yes, I learned from my failure. Yes, I asked the question, how can I keep that from ever happening again? But God doesn't want me to focus on my past because if I focus on my past, every minute, every bit of energy, every bit of focus that I'm doing that, I'm keeping myself from moving forward with Christ. That's why in Proverbs 24, verse 16, one of my favorite verses, it says a righteous person can fall down seven times but gets back up every time. It's not that we're not going to fall. It's not even that we're not going to be knocked down or fail. But God wants to reach down and say, okay, Jeff, you blew it, but let's get back up and let's keep going. Some of you here tonight, you need to have that reassurance. That's why John wrote this passage. He's not writing the passage to those who have a faulty assurance that everything's okay with God when it's really not. He's writing to Christians who are children of God, but they failed. And that failure now is this this weight that's hanging over them that is preventing them from moving forward. And John wants to come in to the words with the words of God and reassure them. You see, and, and let's also... Let's also not forget the place of the devil here in this whole equation too. Because the devil is called our accuser, even as Christians. Accusing us before God day and night, the Bible says. And and part of what the devil's strategy is, is if he can't have my soul, if he can't keep me from heaven, then the next best thing is to make me so depressed and discouraged and filled with doubt that my life will never end up being what God wanted it to be. That I will allow my failures and my past and, and, and all of these things to be what keeps me from moving forward with God. And that's why the, Satan will constantly and continually throw up into my face and into my mind my past. Because he wants me to be tripped up by my past. God wants me to get over my past and move forward with him. In fact, we use the phrase, I've, I've heard it for years And when people even come to talk to me about something like this, they'll say, Jeff, I need help forgiving myself. I tell folks, I don't like that phrase. I don't think that's the actually correct phrase. I think the correct phrase is not forgiving myself, but accepting by faith God's forgiveness. God said he would forgive me for anything and everything. The problem isn't not forgiving myself. The problem is I really haven't, if I'm honest, accepted God's forgiveness. Because if I would have accepted God's forgiveness, then I would be able to move on. The problem is I still don't think God has forgiven. I somehow think that God's going to throw this up in my face someday. And God's already told me that he has cast my sins into the depths of the sea and he will remember them no more. Again, not meaning that he can physically forget, but that he's not going to throw anything in my face ever again. That's why Jesus Christ died. 
That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that tonight? If you believe that tonight, then you should not walk through life one day feeling condemned by God. If you feel condemned, if you feel guilt, that's coming from some other avenue, some other place other than God. God is not condemning you. Jesus Christ took our condemnation, our punishment, our sin on the cross. He died for it. And that's why we can stand forgiven and free in the presence of God. That's why in 1 John chapter 3, if I can find it again as my pages blow all over the place, it's blowing in here like it's blowing outside. Notice then in verse 20 what he says, 1 John 3, 20. If our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience and knows all things. Some human beings have a faulty assurance that things are okay with God when they're not. But sometimes we suffer from a faulty conscience where our conscience or the devil or someone else is throwing things up and telling us how bad we are and how could God ever love me again because I've done that and how could God ever use me again and and God could never have a place in His kingdom for someone like me that struggles so and all of that. And John is saying, wait a minute, folks. Don't let your faulty conscience be what guides you. Our conscience isn't always perfect. Our our conscience is part of our fallenness. So most of the time it can be right, but there's sometimes where it's going to bother us and it really shouldn't bother us. There's sometimes where as Christians we're bothered about something and God's not bothered about it. Why are we bothered about it? And that's where we have to go. God is great. So I'm going to let God be the one to define and determine my life, not my conscience, not any other human being. Not even myself and my feelings, how I feel about it. I've got to live by faith because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And I've got to live by faith, which is in God's word. If God said he will forgive me, then I've got to accept his forgiveness and move on with my life. And not keep allowing this faulty conscience to keep bothering me about something that God has already released in my life. And said, child, will you move on from that and quit allowing that to bother you? That's what John is saying. Let me give you a biblical example. How about Peter? You know, Peter was the guy who thought he knew his own heart. God, I, you know, these other guys may deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. I'm sure that took Peter back. But it happened just as Jesus said. Peter, Peter. Think about it. The leader of the disciples denied even knowing the Lord Jesus. I don't even know that guy. Again, if anybody had a a time in their life where they could say, well, that's it. I just, I blew it. How how could God ever allow me to stay with him? How, how How could God ever use me? Let's go to, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Isn't it interesting that at the end of the Gospel of John, John spends a whole chapter on Jesus making sure that after he rose from the dead, the one guy that he wanted to have a pretty long conversation with 
that he wanted to spend some quality time with, that he wanted to get eyeball to eyeball with, was Peter. And the reason Jesus did that is because Jesus himself wanted to reassure Peter, Peter, yeah, you blew it. You denied me three times, but Peter, let's learn from it. Let's get back up. Let's move forward. Feed my sheep. I got plans for you, Peter. Don't let that failure be what defines your life. Don't sit there one more day and go, oh, how bad I am, and beat yourself up one more day for what you've done, Peter. I got plans for you, Peter. I've got a future for you. I, I'm, I'm going to have you preach on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people are going to come to know me, Peter. So don't sit there wallowing in it. That Yeah, you failed. I'm not going to minimize it. You failed. But what good is it going to do, Peter, to allow that failure to keep hanging around your neck like some weight? Let's get back up and let's move forward. And that's why Jesus spent a whole day beside the Sea of Galilee talking to Peter, wanting to reassure Peter, Peter, you're okay. You're okay. I've forgiven you, Peter. Now let's move on. I've got plans for you. These, this is the kind of people that John is talking to here in 1 John. And this is why it would have resonated with John. Because John even wrote about it in his gospel. And John was there when he saw Jesus reassure people who had blown it. They all blew it, really. There was no one who didn't blow it. And if God only could use perfect people, then none of the people in the Bible would he have ever used. And if God needs perfect people, then Jeff Royce is disqualified. So the basis of my assurance according to 1 John 3, 19 and 20, is God's greater knowledge and work in my life. Period. That's what John means. By this we will know that we are of the truth and will convince our conscience in His presence that if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience and knows all things. Now, up to this point, John's talked about the basis of our assurance. I want to get to just for a few moments tonight the blessings of assurance. Notice in 1 John 3:21 the first blessing of assurance. It is confidence to approach God. He says, "Dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, if we can correct that through the greater knowledge of God, we have confidence in the presence of God." We do this in human relationships. If you have a blow up with a friend or a spouse or something, doesn't it create this sort of weird tension of wondering the next time we see each other, or we're in the same room, what's that going to be like? We've, we've all experienced that. That's why assurance is so important that God and us are okay. Because if we don't think God and us are okay, then we're not going to approach God. We're not going to go into his presence at all. We're going to stay away from him because we're going to think that if we go into God's presence, whack, he's going to nail me. But if I believe through the assurance that the Holy Spirit has given me, that he's forgiven me for that, he wants me to come into his presence, he wants me to ask things of him in prayer, he wants this relationship to be restored to fellowship, then I will confidently approach. It's even, again, like human relationships where, you know, some people are that sort of steady, consistent you just know whether you work with them or you live with them or you're friends with them, whatever. They're just sort of the same all the time. Mm, this is what you get. Mm. You, you just sort of know this is how they are. 
This is the way they're going to be, whether I see them today, next week, next month. They're just this way. And it gives you a comfort to be able to approach where you, you and I have other people in our life They can be like way high and nice and all good one day, and they can be the hound of hell another. (laughs) And you never know what you're going to get. And that's why you and I just naturally as human beings sort of recoil from people like that because we're like, I don't know whether I should go out with them or not, or I don't know whether I should walk into that room or not. I don't know what to expect. I don't know how they're going to treat me. I don't know how they're going to respond to me. That's why God wants to give us assurance because he never wants his children who are truly his children to have any hesitancy to come into his presence at any time. You see, what sin does is so warped that it actually does the exact opposite of what it should do. That sin, when we do walk away from God and sin, we do just the opposite. Then we, we don't even go into God's presence for the help that we really need. We stay away from God, which only makes the situation worse. It'd be just like a parent who's, who's sort of exasperated with their child and frustrated in that I could have helped you with that problem, but you didn't even let me know about it. You didn't come to me. And because you didn't come to me, I didn't even know about it. I couldn't help you. If you'd have come to me, I could have helped you with that. That's what God's saying. And that's what assurance will do. It will give us a confidence to approach God. And what a great God we have to approach. Since I'm running out of time, let me read these verses to you quickly. I'll give you the references. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, verse 16 of Hebrews 4, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. See, that's what assurance does. Assurance tells us, okay, I blew it. But I know I can always run into the presence of my Heavenly Father and He's going to accept me. He might not like what I did. I failed Him. But I know He'll forgive me. And I know He'll help me to move on. And instead of running further away from God, I should run to God. That's what assurance does. It gives us that confidence of approach and approaching God at any time. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He wants us to come to Him in the good times and the bad. There is nowhere in Scripture where it tells any of us, okay, Jeff, that was it. You blew it. No more. In fact, I see just the opposite. That the more I fail, the more God calls me to Him because He knows that's the real answer. I need to spend some time in His presence. So the blessing of assurance is, first of all, confidence to approach God. Then notice 1 John three twenty two. The next blessing is confidence to ask God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing to Him. And then in verse 23, He reminds us of what some of those great commandments are. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus, and to love one another just as He gave His commandment. In case we wonder, well, what commandments are you talking about, God? Now, please hear this. This is important. This is something it took me years as a Christian to understand and wrap my mind around and get. It's so important in dealing with prayer. 
based upon 1 John 3.22 and other passages, a relationship with God doesn't equal answered prayer. Fellowship with God does. See, there are some Christians that believe just because they have a relationship with God that they can ask God for stuff and he's obligated to answer their prayers. No. No. According to 1 John 3.22, I've got to be in fellowship with God to assure that I get answered to prayer. Because notice what he says. Verse 20. Don't miss it. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. Again, let me just use the parent-child relationship. If I've got a child who's in rebellion right now, and I don't. So, Steve, Beth, where are you done? <laughs> so, as I said that, I was like, oh, I don't want people to get that. If I had a child who was in rebellion and they came to me and said, Dad, can, I, can you give me this? I'd be very reluctant to grant their request at that point because I know that they may use whatever I give them only to further the rebellion. But if I have a child who I see is, is striving to do right and they're maintaining fellowship with me, then I'm going to, as a parent, much more acquiesce to their requests. Because I know that whatever freedom, whatever privileges that I give them, because they're in fellowship, they're not going to abuse what I grant them. It's the way God is. God's not going to bless my life if I'm disobedient. All that's going to do is reinforce my disobedience. Then I can go on and go, well, look, I'm, I'm walking away from God and everything seems to be okay. And I can just keep asking God for things and he's obligated to answer me because he's my heavenly father. No, John says, a relationship with God does not automatically equal answered prayer, but fellowship with God does. And that's one of the blessings of assurance. It's not only confidence, John says, to approach God, but confidence to ask God. And then the final blessing, verse 24, being a fruitful Christian. And the person who keeps his commandments resides in God or abides in God and God in him. In other words, they're on the same page. They're in fellowship with each other. They're locked arm and arm. They're, they're on the same path, going down the same direction. And by this we know that God resides in us, by the spirit that he has given to us. Now remember, John was as close to Jesus in his earthly ministry as anybody. Heard the messages of Jesus. So remember what John says there about residing and abiding in the Spirit and all of that. And go back with me to the Gospel of John chapter 15. Look at this. This is great. I love the Bible. It's so cool. How it just all ties together. So in John 15, I just want to look at three verses here tonight for the sake of our study tonight. Notice what Jesus says. Okay, John used the word Abide, remain, same word, same concept, fellowship, okay? So notice what Jesus says in John 15, 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
Because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. You see, a person who just has a relationship with God, who's a Christian, their sins are forgiven, they're on their way to heaven, isn't necessarily a fruitful Christian just because they have a relationship with God. But a Christian who's in fellowship with God, a Christian who's on the same page with God, they're going to be a fruitful Christian. It's one of the blessings that assurance brings. Not just confidence to approach God, confidence to ask God, but to be able to live a life that bears much fruit. And notice what Jesus says in verse 8. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. See, there can be Christians who are Christians, who have a relationship with God, but they're not very fruitful. They're not bearing fruit. One of the blessings of our assurance is not just confidence to approach God, confidence to ask God, but the fact that because we're on the same page with God and we're in fellowship with God and we're depending on God because we understand it's not us that's doing this, bearing this fruit. It's Jesus through us because without him, he says, we can do nothing. That's how I can become a really fruitful Christian and bring glory to God because Jesus says, this is how my father is honored when you bear much fruit and show that you're my disciples. Now, one more. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Because I want to make sure that we all are reminded of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, the importance here of why he mentions the Spirit in 1 John and the fact that Jesus says, without me you can do nothing in John 15 is because, again, I cannot get to the point, because I won't be in fellowship with God anyway, if I try to live my Christian life and serve him and bear fruit and all of this on my own in my own power and strength. So that's why Jesus says, you realize that when a person's in fellowship with me, you're not seeing them do it. You're seeing God do it. God's just working through them. It's his power that's doing it. It's not them. That's cool. Because then God gets the glory for it. And God can raise us all to a level that we could never get to ourselves. So in case, again, any of us somehow think that now I've got to try to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and somehow suck it up and find something inside myself to do all this, God says, no, relax. You just need to learn to depend upon me. And that's exactly what Paul reminds the Corinthians of here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. Again, talking about confidence. Now we have such confidence, not in ourselves, notice Paul says, but in God through Christ. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate to be servants of a new covenant. Not based on the letter, but on the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Wow. See, when you and I realize that the life that God calls us to isn't a life that we've got to try to muster up ourselves, but a life where we just have to learn to depend upon God to do it through us, wow. Because then I realize God's never going to ask me to do something that he can't do through me. That it's not me, again, trying. Oh, Jeff, I'm trying to be a better Christian. I'm trying to forget my past. I'm trying to move forward. It's not in trying, folks. It's in trusting. It's in depending on the Lord to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. No, humanly, 
you and I probably never could, could put some of our past behind us. We could never get over the hurt that others have done to us. And we could probably never get over the failures that we've made in our lives. I mean, the, the mistakes. But God says, I can help you get over it. I can help you move on. So here's what I'm going to ask tonight. Three things. Three things as we move forward tonight. First of all, I want to talk to some of you here tonight. Maybe you fall into the category of those who have a faulty assurance. Maybe you've spent a lot of your time or, I don't know, maybe not very much time, but thinking you and God are okay. I'm okay. And you've just convinced yourself or others have convinced you, I have a relationship with God. I'm okay. Can I just say to you tonight what Paul would say? Examine yourselves. Just take a few minutes and make sure. It's too important. We're talking here about your eternal destiny. It's too important just to make sure that what you're basing your relationship with God on and your forgiveness of sin and your eternity in heaven is nothing less and nothing more than the blood of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Second group. There may be some of you here tonight, you struggle with a faulty conscience. You're a child of God. You've been forgiven. God wants you to move ahead and move forward in life. But man, you've got something in your past that just haunts you, nags at you, just keeps keeps you up at night, keeps you from moving forward. Here's what I'd like to ask of you tonight. Would you please ask God to help you accept His forgiveness and to allow the God who is greater than your conscience to be what determines and defines your life. Don't let others, don't let yourself, don't let how you feel, but let your trust in God's Word at this moment, I just interject here. Think about Mary and Martha in that context. Remember the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospel of Luke? Martha, the sister of Mary, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister she's wrong. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because maybe you and maybe everyone else here thinks Mary's wrong because she's taking time to sit when the rest of you are frantically running around like a chicken with your head cut off, and you may think that she's just lazy or just trying to get out of work or helping you or whatever, but I know her heart. And her heart is just to sit at her Savior's feet and soak up my words for a few minutes. She's not lazy. She just knows that she just needs to recharge at my feet in order to be a more effective servant. So I'm not going to condemn her because I know her heart. See, that's what we can trust. That even when others condemn us for things that they really shouldn't, that God is greater than them. He knows our heart. There are times when people have said, oh, you know, they've, they've judged our motives. They've judged who we, they think they know the whole story and they don't. And that's when we can appeal to a God who's greater than all of that. And he knows our heart. He knows how we really felt at that moment. And he won't condemn. Move forward. Brush it off. Accept God's forgiveness. The third group. Some of you here tonight may be confident right now. Praise God. 
You may not be suffering from a faulty assurance or a faulty conscience, and you may be pretty calm. Again, not confident in yourself, but confident in God and where you are with God right now. That's great. But here's my challenge to you who are confident here tonight. Then use that confidence to approach God more. Use that confidence to ask God more. Use that confidence to bring forth much fruit so that God in heaven can be glorified. Let's close in prayer. And after we do, can I just hang in there for a moment? i got a couple things I want to share with you. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for taking time in the Bible to reassure us. God, I know I've went through periods in my life as a Christian, as a pastor, where, God, I struggled with this. How could I as a Christian think or do such things? How, how could I as a pastor who's supposed to be an example to others struggle with the things that I did? And God, you had to help me with this in my life. I had to accept your forgiveness. I had to realize that you didn't want me to live in my past, to let the things of my past define and determine who I was and where I was going and what the rest of my life would look like. You came into my life. And when my head was low and when my head was bowed because of discouragement and doubt, you took your loving hand and you lifted my head and said, Jeff, look up and go forward. Don't be discouraged. And God, maybe some in this room tonight need to hear that from you as well. They need to sense your loving arms wrapping around them and reassuring them that it's okay. And in spite of what's been done and what they've done, that God, I know the plans you have for me. Plans to prosper me. Plans to bless me. Plans to use me. And then, God, for those tonight who are in a good place with you right now, give them then that confidence, Lord, that will drive them to you even more, to approach you and, and ask you and to bear much fruit, to use this, this good time in their life to just be such a fruitful Christian so that you, can be so glorified and we can show others that we are truly your disciples. God, go with us tonight. For those that can't stay, for the mind mingle, please take them home safely and give them a good night's rest and wake them up tomorrow. Give them a great day. For those who can stay, Lord, bless our time together tonight. Use it to mutually encourage us and take us all home when we go home safely and give us a good night of rest. Maybe some in this room, Lord, it's been a long time since they were able to lay their head on the pillow at night and fall asleep, truly resting in your forgiveness. God, I pray tonight would be that night. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.